great to have you join us. We are going to uh, take about a 15,000 foot view of suffering today because everybody suffers, right? It sounds like the name of a book. Um, so we're calling this message Life As It Is, Confronting Suffering. And I want us to use probably worldwide, <laughs> um, historically, the book that is more um, referenced and um, has dealt with suffering than any other book. It's the book of Job. If you uh, are unsure quite where Job is, it's right before the Psalms, the book of Psalms. So I encourage you to open uh, to it now. And uh, if you are following along with the Kaioki reading plan, you will uh, probably notice that we just recently uh, on fr uh, Mondays and Fridays, we've begun to read the book of Job uh, as, as part of the plan. So um, why don't we pray? Um, and uh, I want to I read where we're going to end and then go back and take a look at what, what builds to um, Job 13. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the fact that you do not abandon your children, even in the midst of their own suffering. But, um, but God, you are a, a friend more faithful than a brother. You are, uh, you are God. And we pray now that you will open our eyes, that we'll see in our ears, that we'll hear and know and understand to the degree that we can um, a little bit about this, um, what at times can seem like a constant companion. And that's pain and that's loss and that's hurt and that is suffering. So it's to you we come. There's no one else we could. And Lord, um, we would pray there's no one else that we would want to turn to. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Okay. Here's where we're going to end up, and that is Job 13, uh, verse 15. It is, I actually was texted this verse a couple of weeks ago, and it was, it's one of those verses that for me personally, when I was in college, when I I don't know where I had been uh, prior to college in terms of Job 13, 15, but this verse made such a huge impact on me um, because it, when, you, when you wrestle with it and come to deal with what it means and who says it and what he's going through, it really gives you a perspective that is a game changer, is a life changer. So... Um, when my friend texted me this uh, over the course of the last couple of weeks, I've just been rehashing. It's like it's like it's like coming across an old friend and and realizing, you know what? I, I, I would like to take a deeper dive. So this is not a real deep dive, but I, I wanted you to know what kind of spurred this on as we get close to going back to our study of Romans. So here we go. Romans 13, 
Job 13, verse 15. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Yet I will argue my ways to his face. All right. Um, let me, let me, let's, let's work our way to Job 13 by looking at what, what, what has Job to the point talking about God slaying him, and yet he will remain with God. Uh, he will trust God. What, what was the process that got there? Well, here's how it started. Back in chapter 1, uh, Job is described in, in verse 1 as a man who was blameless and upright. Someone who feared God and turned away from evil. Pretty good description, right? I mean, if, you, if you're going to have uh, someone, much less scripture, describe you in, in, during your life, that's not a bad one. Well, we're also told still early in chapter 1 that Job was a man of tremendous wealth and power. Um, in fact, he's called the greatest of all the people of the East. Okay? We're told that he was a father of ten children, seven sons, three daughters. And... Um, we are told that Job was constantly concerned about the spiritual well-being of his children. And so he was continuously interceding for them before the Lord. All right. All of that found in the first five verses of, of Job 1. Well, then there's a, in, in verse 6, there's a change of venue. Um, and and the... the, the the place that we find ourselves is before God, before the throne of God. Um, and angels, or as, as some translations, including mine, call them the sons of God, believe to be angels as they come before the Lord. Along with them is Satan. Now... Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to spend too much time here. Um, maybe eventually we will have a study through Job, but I think it's it's worth mentioning the phrase in 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 Hebrew that's used for Satan has a definite article before it, which simply means he is called the Satan, or uh, that word means accuser, the accuser. We have historically believed it to be um, the great deceiver, the one who tempted Adam in the garden, uh, the one who tempted the Lord Jesus uh, during his earthly life, uh, the one who goes about like a, ro a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Probably that's who it is, uh, but it, it, it's, it's just a little odd linguistically uh, he is called the accuser or the Satan. Either way, this accuser comes before the Lord and um, he, he accuses this righteous man before God 
um, he accuses Job's motives for fearing God, for following God. And he, and he says to the Lord that you, God, have blessed him and given him so much. And if you will take all of those things, all of his wealth, all that he has away, Job will, quote, curse you to your face. So, God gives the accuser, Satan, permission to do that. The only, the, the only limits he puts on, on Satan is that he can't strike physically. He can't strike Job. So, that scene ends. Now, next scene, back to earth. And Job gets word that he has lost everything. Everything but his health and his wife has been destroyed, has been taken from him. His assets, his wealth, and most painfully, his, his children. And upon being told this, in his grief, this was Job's response. He falls to the ground, we're told, and worships God. And it is, it is at, at this moment in time, as he gets the word that everything's gone, most notably his children, he falls to the ground, he worships the Lord in his, in his grief and his anguish, that he says what is so often um, recalled at, at the graveside of funerals, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So, that's that scene on earth. Well, next scene. We go back before the Lord. And Satan follows the, the angels again before God. And um, when he shows up, we're told that God brags on Job. He brings to Satan's attention, have, and he asks, have you noticed my, my servant Job? Um, he has remained faithful and he has remained righteous uh, even in the midst of all you have done. And so what's Satan's response? Well, remember, he's the accuser. So instead of relenting, he accuses Job again. This time he, 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 he says to the Lord, you have coddled him. And he asks permission let me afflict him, and he will curse you. Same word that he used prior. He will curse you if you let me afflict him physically. So God allows this. He just, he just draws the, a, a, a circle around Job and says, you can't kill him, but you, you can afflict him. So... The, those are the, the early scenes. It's, it, it, Job, the book of Job is an unusual book in this back and forth that we see. Not only the back and forth between earth and heaven, but the back and forth between God and, and the accuser, Satan. So in chapter 2, um, in verse 7, this is what we read. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. 
and he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Now, get this picture. It's a nasty picture. It's, a, it's somewhat of a grotesque picture. Job is afflicted with these, with these horrific sores all over his body to the point that his only recourse is to take a shard of broken, a broken pot and try to scrape the wounds off. Now, Job, uh, Job then is almost, uh, we, we see the beginning of another affliction, only this affliction is taking place um, not as the result of a conversation between the Lord and Satan, but as the result of his friends. So in verse, in verse 9, we see, Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. So that's where we find Job. He is stricken with sores. His wife is, um, is telling him just to renounce the Lord and, and die. Allow yourself just to die and this miserable existence of yours will end. And Job responds in verse 10 of chapter 2. He said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So this amazing man who walks closely with the Lord, despite the circumstances, despite the situation, I just wanted to spend the balance of our time seeking to learn in order that we can, when confronted with suffering, which we all are, what can we learn from Job about this common fact phase of life that we all endure? What can we learn from Job about suffering? So I want to give you a few things. Here's the first one. Just kind of looking back at, at, at what we've covered early on in, in the book, I think it's fair to say this, that there is a mystery surrounding the why of personal suffering. There is a mystery surrounding the why of personal suffering. Throughout all these events that we've looked at, uh, Job is never privy to the discussions between God and Satan. Did you notice that? All Job knows is what's happening to him. And he is unafraid and unashamed ultimately to acknowledge that God controls what's happening to him. He never accuses Satan of doing this. And you know, you know what? He is right. He is right to not accuse Satan because Satan has no authority, no power, no ability to do anything that God doesn't allow him to do. Where God draws a line, Satan can't cross. So I just want to encourage you, um, and maybe this encouragement would come 
be more relevant to when it's a friend of yours, when it's a family member, maybe a child or a parent, somebody that you care about, don't have to be the answer man or answer woman as to why it's happening. Um, sometimes we don't know the why. Now, Job is going to later on in his discussions with God, he's going he's to touch on why. But he's never going to renounce God. But he's never told. He's never told about the, the heavenly conversations that are taking place. But you know what I found? In most instances, asking why is not usually the top question of the sufferer. Rather, the top question of the one that's going through the pain and the, and the, and the, and the circumstance is, is, is not really even a question. It's just a, a request. Help me, God. Help me. Because you're so caught up in your own, in your own pain. You're not, you're not, the most important thing is not to have some kind of intellectual affirmation about what's going on and why it's going on. It's simply God, and this is going to happen and for Job. I, I just need you. I need your help. I need your help. Okay, so next scene. Um, enter these friends, uh, they're called, of Job. Um, from chapter 2, the middle of chapter 2, through mo most of the rest of the book, he hears from the, his three friends. And basically... Uh, with a, a few differences, basically the counsel that his friends give him um, revolve around a couple, a couple of things. One, they tell him, repent from whatever it is you've done. Repent. You've obviously annoyed, you've sinned, you have angered the Lord. Repent from whatever that is. Uh, in that, they, they come to him and say, Job, this is your fault. You've done something. That's why you need to repent. And then they also t counsel him, stop being so arrogant. Job's insistence on leaning into the Lord causes anger <laughs> and bad counsel out of his friends. They point the finger at him. They accuse him of being too proud. Even his wife, uh, as we read back in chapter 2, her counsel to, hit to her husband is curse God and die. Now, with that stated, here's, here's the second point. If we're going to, second truth we can learn about suffering from, from Job, and that is this. When suffering, know who to listen to. When suffering, know who to listen to. Not everybody that claims to be your friend is your friend. And not every person that is a friend always gets it 100% right. Put another way, not every expert is an expert. Sometimes they're just spurts. Right, spouting off. Um, 
So know who to listen to. Know who to listen to in the midst of, of your pain. Uh, finally, um, we see Job responding. Uh, Job responds to his three friends' advice. They're not so wise counsel, and we and we land back in chapter, back in chapter thirteen, where we started, where we read, and in Job's response, we're gonna. I want to. I want to come back, but I want to pick. I want to start in thirteen thirteen. This is in the middle of Job's response. He says, "Let me have silence, and I will speak." And let come on me what may. Isn't that a great response? You know, this particular friend has gone on and on about all these things that Job has done and why this is happening. And he says, can you just be quiet? Can you just be quiet? I'll, I'll, I'll respond to you. And in that response, God will do what God will do. Verse 14, why should I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in my hand. In other words, why am I going to, um, why am I going to be self-centered and so focused on me? And then here's the bottom line. We come to verse 15 again. Though he, though the Lord slay me, though he kill me, though he brings the end of me about, I will hope in him. So here is, the, here is the, the third thing we learn from Job. When there is nothing else, when there is no one else, God is faithful. God is faithful. Even in the worst of moments, even in the worst of, uh, of times, God can be nothing but faithful. Um, you see... The idea of suffering is often used as a bludgeon to beat followers of God up with, you know. If God is so loving and God is so caring and God is so merciful, why does he allow pain and suffering? And um, the truth of the matter is, as followers of Christ, followers of, of, of the God of Job, we know that the answer to that is not an intellectual treatise. The answer is, he came, left heaven, and suffered. We look to him. Now, we don't have any, you know... We don't have any reason to believe that Job knew any great um, personal qualities of the Messiah. Um, we do know that he believed in a Redeemer and that that Redeemer lived and that one day that Redeemer would come and take his stand on the earth. And, um, and that Job himself, even in death, would see him with his eyes. Um, so there is this sense in this great book of a, a, not only a personal God, but a God who is intimately 
there. He is with us. Um, to the degree, as we look at this, on, as we look at the reality of suffering on this side of the cross, we know um, that in the midst of being the great, um, the great reflection of God the Father, and showing us and exposing to us the, the love of the Father, that the Son, the eternal Word of God, Jesus, comes and suffers himself. It is a beautiful picture. Um, and I want you to know that if you are going through a time of suffering, even now, um, that there is a there is the a, a reality in trusting in the Lord in who he is in the fact that he will never fail us or forsake us or abandon us um, there's um there's so there's so much richness and depth to this book but even in chapter 13 as, as Job continues to respond and, uh, and live in the midst of this pain in verse 20 he, he begins this prayer to God and, he, and he, he asks only grant me two things then I will not hide myself from your face withdraw your hand far from me and let not dread of you terrify me. Then call, and I will answer, or let me speak, and you reply to me. How many are my iniquities and my sins? Make me know my transgression and my sin. Why do you hide your face and count me as your enemy? Will you frighten a driven leaf and pursue dry chaff? For you write bitter things against me and make me inherit the iniquities of my youth. Um, Job, in the midst of his plea, in the midst of his prayer, in the midst of his cry, is saying, is asking, is, is, is requesting of God, whatever happens, whatever happens, um, be with me. Be with me. Don't, don't, don't leave me. He's going to later go on to say, I know that I can, I can endure if you, if you choose to allow me to endure um, as long as you're with me. As long as you will come to me. Um, what a great promise. What a great hope. What a reason to trust. So that we can say, no matter how empty life seems and no matter how difficult um, our own personal suffering has become, that we can say, in knowing that God will not leave us, that though he slay me, 
yet will I trust in him. I will hope in God. And if God, if, 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 if God leaves, then I'm done. Then I'm done. And my friend, I want to just say, when God leaves the scene, we are done. But here's what we know. This Redeemer, Jesus, has come. And if we, by faith, in realizing I have come to the end of me, that's, that's what's happening to Job. Job knows there's no wealth, there's no even family that can help him. He has one hope, and that is the Lord God. And you have one hope. It's not your job. It's not your family. It's not things, savings that you've maybe been able to put away. Your only hope is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the, who is the embodiment of the one who has no body, who is spirit, the Lord God. So we come to him, and I encourage you to turn to him and trust him even now. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being faithful, and thank you for never leaving. And um, thank you for this man, Job. May, may we, 3,000, 3,500 years later, may we learn godlike qualities from the pain that he endured so that it will affect and allow us to focus and learn that though you slay us, our hope is you. And that hope is embodied in Jesus Christ. Bless these who have stayed with us, for it is in Christ's name that we come before you. Amen. Thank you. We're going to close out with a time of worship and song. I look forward to being with you next time.